I'm your host, Kaylee, and this is Rebel Wellness. Welcome to Rebel Wellness, your new go-to podcast for redefining your health and well-being. I'm your host, Kaylee, also known as Coach Kales. I'm stoked to have you with us. You just joined a community of amazing souls who are ready to break free from the confines of the often outdated and confusing health advice all around us. In a world overwhelmed by quick fix diets and unrealistic beauty and body standards, us rebels stand for change. If you're like me, you're exhausted with the confusion and polarization just plaguing the social media health scene. My mission is to empower you to step beyond today's diet culture and adopt a holistic health approach paired with the foundations of science for lasting well-rounded wellness. Through teaching you how to tune in and embrace your mind, body, and soul, we'll reject one-size-fits-all solutions, realigning you on a better path that honors your unique needs and values. With new episodes weekly, this podcast is your new sanctuary for deep wellness exploration, featuring expert advice, real-life stories, and a true commitment to your growth. Your journey to better health and simplicity in life begins now. Let's jump right in. Hello, hello. Welcome back to part two of our milks and milks with a Y conversation all about what do I think and what have I deduced about the variety of milks available for us consumers as it pertains to not only our health and nutrition, but the overall big picture of the environment and ethics and all that kind of stuff. We talked a lot more about that and my perspective in the episode part one. So if you haven't listened to part one, go back to that episode. It's episode 59 and get a good, well-rounded understanding around the most classical milk on the scene, cow's milk. And I think you might be surprised about some of the stuff we talk about there. And I do know that some people may not always agree with some of the ways that I have viewed the kind of ethical conversation or environmental conversation, but I just want to make sure that you understand that I completely respect your own opinion, and I hope that you understand that I come from a very well-researched background and being more immersed in the scene where I get the behind the scenes, especially with food science and knowing production and all of that stuff. So it's always from a place of just trying to be real with you guys. I'm always just as real as I can be, and I try to come at at it from like the least biased place, even though naturally there's a bias, it's my bias, you know what I mean? But I like to come at these topics with trying to see a bigger picture, not necessarily demonize things the way that, you know, our food has been so polarized lately, especially like, are you team this? Are you team that? You know, blah, blah, blah. So I totally respect if you are on a team, but I hope that you know that I come from a place where I'm kind of outside of the teams, just trying to kind of coach around and give you some some thoughts to think about and some facts, you know, so that you can kind of develop your own opinion. But with that said, today we are talking a lot more in the plant-based milk alternatives zone. So this conversation is definitely for those of you who just either doesn't do well with cow's milk, which is a lot of people, or somebody who just doesn't want to drink cow's milk. Maybe you don't like the taste of it. Like I personally don't really like the taste of like whole milk, like bleh. It just tastes weird to me, but that's because like you might've heard in the past episode, I was raised on like lactose-free milk. And then as I got older, it was mostly just almond milk and such because I was lactose intolerant and we didn't really, you know, none of my doctors taught me much about what that meant. They didn't tell me that it just means that I lack lactase. 
the enzyme to break down lactose that is in milk. And so all milk wasn't necessarily off the table for me. It was just things that contained high levels of lactose and or I needed to take the lactase enzyme, you know what I mean? And so that might be you. You might be somebody who didn't know that like dairy is actually very nourishing and it can be very health promotive for you and your goals, but it also could not be. And so that's where this conversation comes in with mixing in plant-based milks, because I do actually dominantly drink certain milk alternatives. You'll hear in the episode soon, which one is my favorite and my preferred. Well, there's actually a couple, but I'm going to talk about as many of the major players on the scene that you'll see at most grocery stores, you know, things that we mostly drink, like soy, almond, coconut, oat, etc. So if there's a specialty milk that I don't touch on that you're curious about, I'd love for you to throw me a DM on at Rebel Wellness Podcast on Instagram if you have some more questions or things like that. But ultimately, kind of like I mentioned in the previous episode, a lot of them are in the same family. They're nut-based they're grain-based, you know, they're kind of in those camps. So a lot of them have very similar nutritional profiles, we'll say. So stay tuned all the way through this episode if you want to get a really good, well-rounded understanding of some of the most popular milks. Maybe you'll test out some different ones for yourself after this conversation. Maybe you'll completely stop drinking other ones. You might be surprised at some of the uh, estrogenic content of certain milks that we will talk about today in the plant-based milk scene. But if you are not already, I want to invite you to come join our community on Instagram, like I said, at Rebel Wellness Podcast or at Kaylee Loren, that is my flagship coaching page, or join our wellness newsletter. It's one time a month, no crazy spamming on coachgales.com. I'd love for you to come join our email list there. Stay tuned all the way to the end of this episode as well. If you would like to find out some of my freebies, I have some great stuff on my website that you can go check out and download. Free resources from me, no script rings attached besides, you know, you sending me your name. <laughs> but without further ado, and all of the housekeeping done, <laughs> let's get into this episode. So plant-based milks, there are a ton out there. I'm going to talk about as many of the most popular familiar ones that you could probably find at your local health store <laughs> or market. And that's going to include soy, almond, coconut, oat, macadamia nut, cashew, pea milk, you know, all that jazz. There are definitely more niche ones like walnut milk flax milk. Uh, I think what was the newest one I saw? I saw barley milk. There's a lot. Okay. But I don't, I don't know a ton about longevity studies or nutrient density from a bioavailability standpoint for like barley milk and flax milk and such. So personally in this conversation, I'm going to leave those out. And there wasn't very good like information online about actual studies done on them because they are such niche newer milks. So apologies if you are interested in those specific two milks. I am not going to talk about them a ton. But I will say a large majority of my life, especially because I was lactose intolerant, didn't ever understand much about it. My doctors never really explained it to me. They just said avoid milk or have lactate good old lactate. And so most of my life in my early years, especially when I made more of those decisions for myself, I honestly was drinking a lot of almond milk because almond milk was like the first popular one that was everywhere. It had a lot more varieties, right? So 
growing up, I had a lot of almond milk. And now I would say I hardly ever drink almond milk. I occasionally get it because of like the barista version, if that's the only other alternative milk that they have. Lately, because I've been eating more of a paleo carnivore whole food diet, I actually just actually get whole milk now, or I'll do a splash of cream in my coffee if I get it when I'm out and I get zero issues. But I will say that I used to default to almond a lot because it kind of was the only thing that was available. So I'm sure that a lot of you probably resonate with that. The other popular nut milks would be like cashew, hazelnut, macadamia nut, and they all have pretty good protein sources. If we look at them from a nutrient standpoint, they usually have good healthy fats. There's usually naturally occurring vitamins and other nutrients, but there's a lot of people who can't do nuts, you know, so they're not always the greatest for people with nut allergies or intolerances. But uh, the downside as well to nut milks are they do tend to have a lot of additives in them because it helps stabilize the milks. Like if you've ever made almond milk or bought like from a farmer's market, homemade almond milk, it's delicious by the way. There's actually one in Portland that my friend turned me on to called A-Milk, A-M-Y-L-K. If you're up in Oregon, definitely go check it out. Delicious almond milk and definitely a healthy version of almond milk. But store-bought almond milk because a lot of the times it is going to be highly stabilized with a bunch of different fillers. A lot of those fillers we actually know are not great for long-term use. So consuming it consistently daily or every other day or just multiple times in a week over long periods of times are there's a lot of those chemicals in there. I'll tell you a couple of bit about the ones that are less ideal. Um, but that is where we kind of have a downside because nut milks separate a lot because it's basically the nut. All milks are basically the item that the name of the milk is <laughs> mixed with water. <laughs> That's pretty much mostly what it is. And then they fortify it or enrich it with other nutrients. Okay, so get out your notebook if you want to make notes of these so that when you're in the grocery store, you can kind of compare the milks you purchase against it. So one of the first things that is not ideal, that is in many, especially cheaper nut milks. This also includes oat milk, by the way. Oats are not technically nuts, they're a grain. So but that's still in the non-dairy milk. Plant-based milks in general, these are some of the things that you want to try to avoid or consume minimally. So genetically modified oils, we really do want to see just as close to the nut and water as possible. Um, this is why making your own at home is usually the best way, but it's also not convenient, right? So some nuts or plant-based milks need less of these additives, but a lot of the ones, especially like lower quality ones, they add a lot of these in to improve the texture and the taste and all that jazz and the shelf stability. So avoiding the oils like corn, soybean, sunflower seed, safflower, canola. The other ingredients that you'll see that you don't really want are emulsifiers and gums. This is really common because again, they don't have good structure. Nut milks naturally don't have good structure without a lot of these thickening agents and such. So you'll see things like xanthan gum, guar gum, you know, there's a lot of digestive discomfort and, again, intestinal issues that tends to come from too much xanthan gum consumption, but you also might find issues digesting guar gum. Both of those are technically food safe, but they can cause people issues. Evaporated cane juice or cane sugar, any of that in general, 
is typically added into a lot of nut milks to help kind of improve the flavor, but it is, you know, a very, it's devoid of nutrients and it is straight sugar. So it's going to get in your blood sugar and spike it immediately, which will have kind of negative effects on your um, rest of your blood sugars trajectory for the day can cause hunger you know, cravings, a whole bunch of different stuff that is not ideal, especially for somebody who might be working on a diet where you're trying to lose weight or something like that. You want to avoid nut milks that involve cane sugar in general, including like agave syrup and stuff. Basically, it's still processed out of a plant and is a really quick gets in your blood sugar sugar. And so we kind of want to reduce that as much as possible. The sugars that are a little more natural that like the top two sugars that are the most natural that I would say are the best options for you are usually maple syrup and honey and like either raw honey or just like minimally processed honey and maple syrup that's not been processed either. Those are just like natural sugar from the planet (laughs) and they are the easiest for the body to deal with in a more productive way. I guess you can still overeat it though for sure, but if you're going to add it into something. It is much better than a highly processed, simple sugar, like cane sugar and such. It is still technically like maple syrup and honey are still technically simple sugars, but they actually do have natural nutrients involved in them as well. Whereas like cane sugar doesn't. The other things to look out for is carrageenan. It is a byproduct from seaweed. It's also used as a thickener, emulsifier, and a stabilizer. There's a lot of different health controversies around carrageenan, honestly. And I actually had a client whose husband worked for Pacific Foods, the like soup company and stuff. And they were dealing with a lot of issues because they would use carrageenan as a stabilizer in a lot of their food products. And they had research that said that carrageenan wasn't a big deal. It's only carcinogenic when it's in like high levels. But at the same time, again, everybody's body is different. And if there was enough issues arising due to carrageenan from people reporting it and talking about it, and it's mainly a lot of different chronic inflammational IBS and gastrointestinal issues, that's usually where you're kind of going to be like, well, you know, if you're getting those things and you're consuming foods that have carrageenan, maybe avoid carrageenan. So that's why you'll see a lot of nut milks and stuff say like carrageenan free is like a little badge of honor on the front of it. And it's kind of like hit or miss whether or not it's actually like really bad for you. But again, if you are consuming it daily, you're dosing yourself frequently and you want to be mindful of that. The final one that is not great is the natural flavors and natural colors. Anytime you see natural flavors and natural colors, that is not, (laughs) it's really misleading. And it is probably one of the biggest like steer clear things that I read on labels. We're going to do a whole episode on labels coming in this season, so stay tuned for that. But for what it's worth right now, natural flavors and natural colors are basically indicate of artificial sweeteners and sometimes MSG. And basically, they're always used to just kind of enhance the taste or the look. And they're kind of, you know, safe for human consumption again, but they are synthetic and they're enhanced with preservatives and other ingredients that can cause and have caused a lot of people allergies, headaches, and a variety of other health issues. So if you see natural flavors or natural colors on a nut milk or any food product in general, I would kind of question it and then probably just put it back on the shelf if you're looking to avoid little additives that do actually add up. You know, it's kind of like sometimes with certain prescriptions, like if you are a female and you used to take 
oral contraceptives. Let's use this example. It might be niche, but it also is kind of not because a lot of us, especially babies from the 80s and 90s, like we were put on birth control pills immediately, basically once we started having a cycle, which has a lot of health issues for us now. (laughs) We're not going to talk about that now. But, you know, when you would have your generic brand or maybe you had a name brand and then they switched you to the generic where they ensured you that like it's the same exact active ingredients and blah 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 blah. it's like yeah but it's the inactive ingredients that are giving me acne now or bloating or fat gain or you know hair loss you know a whole bunch of these horrible side effects just because of the inactive quote-unquote ingredients involved in different prescriptions. And that's like a real thing. It's a big issue. So similar to that, a lot of these additives in these nut milks, you might be thinking, well, I'm making the greater choice purchasing almond milk, let's say. But if you're buying like a cheap version that has a bunch of this crap in it, it's probably more negative for your health than it would have been. So that's something to consider. And that's why it's worth me bringing this up because it is very important to consider all the ingredients in your nut milk, not just what the label says on the front. Okay, so soy milk, that is, you know, another one that was, wasn't, is very popular alternative. A lot of people like the taste of it a lot better. Um, I will say that it does have a different taste to me than most nut milks. It's kind of got a different nuancey taste to it. However, for me personally, I realized as a kid, like I would get an allergic reaction to soy milk. I would get like an itchy throat, itchy gum sometimes. And it kind of sucks because I did really like like soy lattes or whatever, because that was so popular in the early 2000s. But I stopped drinking it because I was like, wow, my body is obviously not really liking it. And then as I got into college and starting to, you know, dissect and learn more nutrition factors, the biggest downside to soy milk, especially if it's not organic, is that it contains more than other plant-based milks and plant-based products. It contains more phytoestrogens than you should have on a daily basis. This is really interesting. I have an interesting story for you guys here in a second. But the thing that's really important is that some people like to drink soy milk because it does have a good nine essential amino acid profile, which makes it closer to a complete protein. But the long-term consumption of it, when you're consuming a lot of these phytoestrogens, which is basically a plant-based estrogen that your body doesn't produce through your own natural endocrine system, it's gained only through eating plants that are classified as phytoestrogens. So soy is a major one for that. Even though it's natural, it can be a way for your body to have and accumulate too much estrogen, and it can very much and has contributed to a lot of people's hormone imbalances, like the situation called estrogen dominance in both men and women. So soy milk in the grocery store that is most available, especially if it doesn't say organic, it's highly processed and genetically modified and typically has quite a bit of pesticides involved in it. So steering clear from soy milk is my usual best recommendation. I would say it's pretty low on the totem pole of top milks that I would recommend that you drink for health, especially if it's something you drink consistently once in a while, totally okay. You know how it goes, but I do want to make sure that you know that I would not recommend you drink that weekly. (laughs) But the interesting story I was going to say is on the phytoestrogen note, I actually had a client who would drink about, I would say a venti soy latte with one of her girlfriends that she would walk with three times a week, but big, you know, big venti latte. 
And she came to me and she was like, oh no, you know, my mammogram came back that I have these little like calcifications, like potentially precancerous showing up and they're like kind of everywhere in my breast tissue and blah, blah, blah. My doctor's like wanting me to try to like start to evaluate, you know, to make sure that if I, if I need to go in for some preventative cancer care, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, first thing I think <laughs> as usual, what are you eating? So I asked her, well, what do you consume daily? Do you consume a lot of soy? Cause I remember in my schooling that soy is a phytoestrogen. And if you are somebody who is more trending towards cancer, especially breast cancer, you usually are a person who doesn't process estrogen in a healthy detox pathway. And that means that you could be negatively influencing that trajectory of cancer cells developing because of estrogen if you're also consuming phytoestrogens because you're raising the estrogen load in your body. So I asked her, I was like, are you drinking soy milk? And she goes, yeah, I have my venti soy latte like three or four times a week. I was like, okay, you know, like I just said, learn in school, this or that, phytoestrogens, big issue. Maybe try cutting that out and see how it goes. She's like, oh, bummer. She's like, what milk can I switch to? And I was like, well, um, you know, you can try almond milk or you can switch to like a different kind of coffee or tea, you know, this or that. Um, and so she cut it out. She had to go back for her like month marker screening for her mammogram because they saw all of these in literally in a month, guys. And I'm not making the story up. I could call her. I almost said her name. She would should never listen to this, so it wouldn't matter. But um, I like to keep my clients, you know kind of uh, anonymous on my podcast. But anyways, she was like, you will never believe it. Literally, I have no more of those um, calcifications showing up on my mammogram. And I was like, are you serious? And she's like, yeah, they're completely gone. There was nothing there anymore. And my technician was like, what happened? And she's like, I cut out my soy lattes. And she was like, oh my God. And so when people say that like, oh, the soy thing isn't real with the estrogens, it really is. It really is. Especially if you're going for like, barista soy they don't care if it's organic you know most cafes you go to they care about the bottom line like any other business and they're going to just buy unless they say it out outwardly they're just going to buy the regular cheapest stuff you know the mass-produced stuff so be very intentional about your soy milk consumption if you are somebody who is dealing with like estrogen dominance if you have a lot of a lot of body fat patterning in your thighs in your belly in your boobs you are potentially somebody who is estrogen dominant, like excess, like it's not just natural fat. It's like you're above the 40% body fat zone. That is something to be paying attention to. Um, and you do really want to make sure of that, especially if you have any sort of breast cancers in your family. So that's like a little tangent, um, but it's important to note with soy milk because it's a conversation I have to have often with a lot of my clients who do drink soy milk. And we pretty much always get them off of soy milk because it's not necessarily worth it to me. Um, and if you're going to have soy products, like I said, always go for the non-GMO organic as much as possible. Okay. So let's also talk real quick. Rice milk, it's pretty devoid of nutrients as well. It's pretty watery. It doesn't taste very good. Um, it is good for those who are sensitive to like dairy and nuts, but it's not because it's still a grain if you're somebody who's sensitive to grains. And so I would say 
it's pretty low in protein. It's kind of higher in carbs, which can influence your blood sugar negatively. And so I wouldn't really recommend uh, rice milk much at all. Pea protein milk, yet another one. Pea protein is kind of in the category of um, big mass produced crops that are in our agriculture. Um, it's between like pea and soy are some of our biggest crops that are like multi-used for different things. You'll find pea protein in a lot of stuff, like even in other nut milks as a protein enrichment, because a lot of times processing a lot of the nut milk in general takes a ton of the nutrients out. So they'll put nutrients back in to help balance out the nutrition label better. And a lot of times they use pea protein as the plant-based source of where they're bringing protein back into the milk. So that's important to note. So it is higher protein, which is a little closer to things like the dairy milk um, and the soy milk, but there <laughs> is a major downside to pea protein that technically peas are legumes. And if you have any sort of gut dysfunctions or sensitivities, they can definitely disrupt your system in general. Pea protein has a lot of anti-nutrients, so it has lectins and phytates, and what those do is they bind to the intestines and they make nutrients inactive in the body by inhibiting absorption, which is not great. We don't want things to be not absorbed. <laughs> and um, there's a lot of things, like there's people who have maybe heard of SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth. They are people who should really avoid lectins, especially because they are ir irritable to the body. If you're somebody who has a completely normal bowel system every day and you eat different things, like even rice has lectins in it, you're probably fine. But for many people, high consumption of really processed pea protein is irritable to their gut and it can contribute to like leaky gut syndrome and a variety of digestive distress or even immune distress. I actually, myself, every time I drink pea protein, for a while there I was trying to consume a combination of not just whey, I was trying to have plant-based proteins and I was drinking the ripple shakes and I had several of the ripple like shelf stable ones in my car for after workouts and three times guys, because <laughs> I was trying to make like a point that it wasn't the pea protein, but it absolutely was three times. I drank it after a workout and not like an intense workout where I was just going to barf anyways, um, just like a normal workout. And I barfed. <laughs> Every time, or no, I barked two of the times and I got super crazy nauseous uh, the third time. And I was like, that's it, not doing pea protein anymore. And um, on top of that, one of my friends was drinking pea protein, the ripple shakes every morning because she was trying to test out this morning protein protocol. And she guys, she broke out in the weirdest immune reaction. She had crazy itchy skin. Her skin was bruising. She was itching so much. And it was like the weirdest immune system response. And I was like, I know you don't want to hear this, but <laughs> I think it's the pea protein. And sure enough, when she stopped it, it went away. So I would be very careful because there's a good chance too that there's a lot of glyphosate in the pea protein which is gonna bring me to the next topic of oat milk, which a lot of people are constantly arguing about on social media. So I'm sure a lot of you have been waiting to hear my take on oat milk. But pea protein, I would say, be kind of mindful when you're consuming it as well. It can become problematic for a good amount of people. So make sure that you 
check in with yourself when you're drinking that. Okay, oat milk. Let's jump into this girly. <laughs> so um, I know it kind of hit the scene several years ago. I remember when it was just finally starting to get carried by cafes in Portland, Oregon, <laughs> which means, you know, which means it's legit. <laughs> it's like coffee town. But anyways, it has a really creamy texture. It's a very subtle taste. So it's very similar to cow's milk in a lot of dishes or coffee or whatnot. It does contain a good amount of essential nutrients like your fiber, which helps your gut health usually, you know, fiber on its own, not necessarily just the oat milk. And it's it doesn't have to be all the time fortified with a lot of stuff. The downside though, guys, I never recommend oat milk to majority of my clients because especially a lot of my clients come to me because they want to work on their health. And so I don't recommend oat milk for them because not that you can't have good health and consume oat milk at the same time. It's just that how much you have to work to counter the way that oat milk influences your body physically is an issue because oat milk essentially is starch. It's ground up oats that's been heavily processed and then they add in amylase, which amylase is what helps break down carbohydrates. And so it makes the milk a little bit sweeter and easier to kind of um, mouth. And it also helps them it not separate as much. So basically though, it turns the really thick oats into uh, the carbohydrates from those oats into simple sugars. And so the grams of carbohydrates involved in a cup of oat milk um, for like the standard Oatly brand is outrageous in my opinion. If you are somebody who gets an oat milk latte from the barista edition, a cup of the barista Oatly, which is roughly how much milk they put in a latte, a standard size latte, more if it's a bigger latte, is 16 grams of carbs, guys, and seven grams of fat and three grams of protein. So you're drinking carbs and fat mostly. And it's starch with sometimes added sugar and hardly any oat milk is organic and gluten-free because it's just another way for them to repurpose oats, really. <laughs> um, and so ideally why this matters is because most, like if we were to look and compare most nut milks or milks, yeah, all the milks in general, you're going to get more carbohydrates in cow's milk because that's just a natural factor of it, but it balances out by the fact that it matches in protein what it has in carbs typically. But all other nut milks are ranging from zero carbs all the way up to maximum seven grams of carbs for a cup. So 16 grams or a standard oat milk cup of not the barista edition is 14 grams. So it's only two grams less is a significant amount of carbs. What that would re reflect to as far as like a carb source for comparison is roughly eight Ritz crackers. So you're either drinking a cup of oat milk or eating eight Ritz crackers. That's the comparison. <laughs> And you can look it up too. I, I use my MyFitnessPal to compare the two. And that's nuts. No pun intended. Because <laughs> there is no nuts. It's all oats. But that's way too much from my perspective as a nutritionist. We are usually over-consuming a lot of carbohydrates, depending on how you eat, unless you are somebody who is not eating carbohydrates at all. Um, but you wouldn't be drinking oat milk if that were the case. So for people who need to be managing their carbohydrate intake in general, especially if they're dealing with trying to manage their body fat percentage or blood sugar management, you know, maybe they're pre-diabetic or things like that, oat milk is just really not what's up. Um, it is 
definitely far too high in carbohydrates. You usually are not balancing it out because unless you're adding protein in, you're not going to be balancing out that hit of carbohydrates to your body, especially because oat milk is at, has amylase added to it to break it into the more simple sugars. It's going to spike your blood sugar pretty immediately once you're consuming it. So my best tip would be if you can calculate, like pay attention to how much oat milk you're drinking because cup for cup, you need to be paying attention to that because easily three cups throughout your day, you're already having uh, around 40 grams of carbohydrates or more, which would look like a whole cup of white rice, a little bit more than a whole cup of white rice, white rice in drinking. And we really try to orient most of our beverages daily into lower carb, moderate to low fat, and you can have a good amount of protein in a drink. <laughs> protein is that nutrient that you can always have um, a good amount of. It's not really going to have an issue for you unless you have a specific kidney problem. So that's important to note. So I know that it's kind of crappy. I know a lot of people don't want to know that, but especially from the multitude of arguments on either side, dietitians slamming dietitians, nutritionists slamming nutritionists, you know, health person yelling at health person <laughs> all over social media. When it comes down to it, oat milk really doesn't have a good place in our diet. And it is kind of wildly popular now because it tastes so creamy. But people really don't realize they're just drinking starch. They're just drinking starches. And you're getting enough starches usually in your diet already. So you're adding more starches to it. So a lot of people might even find if they remove their daily oatmeal consumption, they might naturally have a better blood sugar management day and also lose unexpected weight because blood sugar problems as well as excess carbohydrates mean fat gain and or stubborn fat. So if you're somebody who is having an issue losing excess fat and you drink oat milk daily, you might want to consider swapping to one of the next milks I'm about to talk about because the next milks I'm going to finish out this conversation with are my top choices for alternative milks along with a grass-fed cow's milk if you're somebody who wants to stick to dairy. So if you're somebody who likes a more nut-based milk and you can have nuts, my top recommendation over almond milk would be macadamia milk. So Currently, the main company that produces macadamia milk is Milkadamia is the brand. You can find them online at Thrive Market. You can find them at a lot of stores, especially Whole Foods and such. And they are not outrageously priced compared to some other specialty milks, but they're not super cheap either. But you can commonly find them on sale. I think it's usually like five or six dollars max a carton. They are shelf stable, which is great. And they do. Um, I recommend the unsweetened vanilla version. That is definitely much better than the sweetened one. The, it is fortified, so it does have some nutrients kind of added back in. That is kind of common, especially because macadamia nuts themselves are actually mostly a full fat source. They don't carry a ton of other nutrients in them. That's why they are a very keto-friendly nut. Funny enough, not all nuts are keto-friendly, um, but macadamia nuts are, and they go rancid really fast because they are so high in fats. So... It makes a really creamy milk. So if you're somebody who's looking for something like if you're trying to like, again, switch off of oat milk or something, macadamia milk is great because it is very, it's fattier. 
not insanely. It's about for one cup, it's about three and a half grams of fat. And, you know, first it's important to note that you need fat in your day. You do need to consume enough fat and from good sources. So at least you're getting good quality nut fat. And it is roughly only about 40 calories for a cup as well, which is really great. So it is not a good source of extra nutrients. I mean, hence why they fortify it again. But if you're looking for a vessel or something to cream up your coffee or something like that, and you want to stick towards like a nut milk that's lower calorie, I definitely would go for macadamia milk. And now for my top choice out of all of the plant-based milks, I have to choose coconut milk. So coconut is not your standard nut, so it's not really categorized under a nut milk, but it kind of is because it also has nut in its name. <laughs> but coconut milk is the most simple to make that you can make at home. I actually used to make my own homemade coconut milk when I was living by myself up in Portland and apparently had more time on my hands because it is pretty tedious. <laughs> but literally you take the flesh of the coconut and blend it with the water from the coconut. So it's literally as like pure and natural as it gets. And it stays creamy like that on its own. So yes, it is a little higher in fats because coconut oil also comes from the flesh of the coconut. So some people are like, oh, but it's kind of high in saturated fat. It has three and a half grams per cup and it's a natural saturated fat. It's not a man-made one and or if you are somebody who doesn't really eat a diet high in saturated fats in general, you still can have up to 25 grams of saturated fat in your daily diet for most healthy adults. So it's, I mean, you technically can even go up to 30 or if you're following like a paleo or carnivore diet, you can definitely exceed the recommended daily amounts of saturated fat and not have the issues. There's a big debate that's constantly going on, but especially from the research and the authorities that I have found to be true. And even especially watching the blood markers change for my clients who follow diets like the ketogenic diet or the carnivore diet, there seems to be a component where if you exceed recommendations of saturated fat and you're consuming carbs of any type, they could be natural or processed. That seems to be a combination that is not ideal. But if you're somebody who doesn't have any carbs at all, or basically only like some vegetables or some fruits, you actually have improvements in your body's cholesterol and LDL, HDL, all that jazz when you are still consuming like a ridiculous amount of saturated fat. It's very interesting. And that is where nutrition is super fun to me because it doesn't go with the, the um, generic thinking, but it's also important to note that do not exceed 25 to 30 grams of saturated fat a day if you are somebody who does eat normal carbs, standard American diet or something like that. Um, if you are somebody who is eating keto or eating carnivore, you absolutely can because, I mean, that's part of your calories for the day and your body will typically not have any negative effects from it. It's very fascinating. You can definitely dive into that more if you look up the research, but it's also one of those things that is just highly debated. But from my experience personally sharing with you, I have literally seen the blood markers improve when clients ate nothing but cheese and steak and fibrous vegetables, um, mostly greens and leafy greens and nuts and coconut oil, you know, and heavy cream. And it, I know it was confusing to you because I'm sure that like all we've ever heard is that's fattening food and it's bad for you and it's going to clog your arteries. But the little guy in the middle that actually is the way that it changes is if you're eating carbs, it seems to be. So that's very interesting little tangent there. 
But with that said, I mean, similarly, you can look into tribes in Brazil. They dominantly live off of animals in the wild, bananas, the plantains, and coconuts, and all coconut products. So they eat a very high saturated fat diet, but because they are devoid of processed carbs and, you know, tubers and grains, because it's not readily available to them, they actually don't have heart disease issues. So we can't say that it's because of the coconut oil or any of that stuff and the saturated fat in it, because their lifestyle is consuming a massive amount of that, including animal proteins and fats, and they don't have those health issues. So we have to kind of have a, a bigger scope and zoom out and look at it and be like, okay, it's not one size fits all. So that's what I really hate. And I constantly want to debunk for you guys on this podcast is how much of this stuff is more like in a gray area. It's not black or white. So, um, but yes, going back to it, coconut milk is easy to digest. It's well tolerated for a lot of people, even people that are on like autoimmune paleo style diets and things like that. And it can definitely provide you with a lot of good, healthy fats that are necessary for healthy brain, healthy hormones, blood sugar balance, healthy thyroid, etc. And it doesn't typically have a ton of natural nutrients if it's not blended with natural coconut water. So I would say you really do still want to go towards the organic. You also want to read and make sure it doesn't have a lot of additives and fillers and binders. Um, Some of them do still, especially if they're shelf stable. So I would look for the ones that kind of stay under six ingredients or so, and that's usually a good place to go or make it yourself. I mean, honestly, like I used young coconuts, like Thai coconuts when I would make it and I could just use two of them or just one big one. And oh my gosh, that is the best tasting (laughs) plant-based milk I've ever had. But I love like the taste of like natural coconut. So to me, that might be something that's like maybe a barrier of entry for some coconut milk people. But if you don't mind the taste of it or you can get used to it, I would definitely say coconut milk is one of the top options alongside macadamia nut milk and grass-fed cows, sheeps, or goat's milk if you're going to go for best nutrients and least processing and least fillers, etc. All right, guys, I hope that that wasn't disappointing to you. I hope that that was a little bit eye-opening. And I always encourage you guys to like research a little bit deeper on your own. And especially as you're drinking your own milk throughout the day, like choose which ones work the best for you that feel the best for you. You know, I'm not really going to be mad about it or anything like that. It's, it's important to take the wheel with your own nutrition. And I always just want to encourage you to do that more. And in the more, you know, the better choices you can make. Right. And so it's really important for you to feel empowered and a little bit more solid in your understanding of the nutrition choices you make. Because sometimes when we're far removed from it, we find ourselves in poor health or having some issue and we're like, I don't know what it could be. But as you learn more and you realize this could be because I've been consuming this food more recently or this or that, you know, asking those questions really gives you a lot of power back and it really helps you become an active person embodying your meat suit. You know what I mean? (laughs) And that's important, at least to me. So I hope it is to you. But with that said, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Definitely shoot me any questions you have. I know there were certain milks I didn't really touch on in this episode, cashew milk and such like that. So feel free to ask me questions or just let me know that this episode was helpful for you. All right, Rebel, there you have it. 
that is all the information I think is worth knowing at the moment as far as the plant-based milk alternative conversation goes. I hope you learned some new stuff today. There's definitely some interesting angles to different types of these milks. And, you know, I didn't talk about it too much, but it is something to be said about fortification of different, you know, alternatives of dairy that are basically that lost and or never had certain nutrient profiles. And so it's important to know that sometimes even though it's added back into those milks, your body may not be actually able to utilize those nutrients. So we want to make sure that if you are somebody who is plant-based, that you're paying attention to other food sources that are plant-based that do naturally have as many of those nutrients as possible and or a very good high quality vitamin, multivitamin, you know, different supplements that can get into your body and help you absorb all of those different fortification <laughs> nutrients and minerals that they usually do add into plant-based milks. Um, I did want to add that in there because it is important to know that sometimes just because it says it's in it doesn't mean that that form that they fortified the milk with is actually usable, aka bioavailable is what we call it. I actually have all of my top recommendations of daily supplements that are great quality linked on my website under the Amazon link if you go to my resources on coachcales.com. So check that out if you want some of my best recommendations straight from Amazon. So it'll be easy for you to order straight to your house. But that is all for part two of the milk conversation, the great milk debate. I hope that this was a good topic for me to cover for you and it answered a lot of the questions. And I hope that you have a very good rest of your week. I appreciate you being here, listening to this two-parter. If you are new here, I want to make sure that you know that I am always open to topic suggestions. And we do have a little segment occasionally where we answer listeners' questions all around health and wellness, of course. And so if you do have a question you'd like for me to answer in one of the episodes, you can always shoot me either a DM or email me, you know, from my website. I'd love to invite you to share this episode with somebody you think might need to know what we talked about today. And I would love if you enjoyed this episode to give us a five-star rating to help our podcast grow and spread the health to more and more people. So celebrate your strength and nourishment, walk with confidence, and I will catch you next week on another episode of Verbal Wellness. Hey Rebel, I just want to say a huge thank you for tuning in and sharing this space with us. Before we sign off, I've got some exciting ways for you to stay connected and to take your wellness journey even further with me. First up, if you haven't already, make sure to swing by coachkales.com and sign up for our newsletter. It's your go-to source for the latest episodes, exclusive content, and a whole lot more wellness goodness delivered straight to your inbox. Check out the show notes for those high quality tips on nutrition, fitness, and just overall well-being. Follow us on Instagram at Rebel Wellness Podcast and my flagship page at Kaylee Loren. We're all about building a community where we can share, inspire, and grow together. So I would love to see you there. Now, if you're looking to reset and realign after a vacation, a hectic work season, or just because you feel like it's time for a healthful cleanse, I've got something super special for you and it's 100% free. Head over to stand.store backslash kales and download my free realignment detox guide. You can also find it at coachkale.com in the freebie section. 
I'm sharing my unique holistic approach to help you cut back inflammation, improve your skin, and even shed some excess weight with this guide. So trust me, you're gonna love it. Go download it for free now. But last but not certainly least, if you've got a burning health question you'd like answered on the show, or if you're curious about my one-on-one -on -one remote coaching or group courses, don't hesitate to visit my website and reach out to me there or hello at kayleeloren.com is my best email for contacting me. I am here to support you on your journey to wellness, so do not feel afraid to reach out. All right, Rebel, catch you on the next episode.